It's that time of year when I get an influx of educators who have just left the classroom and are wanting to build their tuition business. It's quite nostalgic, really, because I remember when I was doing the same in 2017. And actually, these guys are better than I was at that stage because I hadn't learned the value of investing in support. I was of the mindset that I could work out everything by myself and that I didn't need to spend money on learning. Well, I didn't need to, but it would have made my business growth a lot faster and easier. Anyway, since it is that time of year, I wanted to share seven things that I don't necessarily consider mistakes because you do learn from everything, but things that I would definitely do differently if I were launching my tuition business again. I hope you enjoy this trip down memory lane and more importantly, keep listening if you want to avoid some of the common pitfalls new business owners face. Welcome to the Upgrade Your Education Business podcast. I'm your host, Samantha, and I'm so pleased you're here. As an education business owner myself and a former teacher, I understand the nuances that only apply to us. So in this podcast, I share fluff-free, tailored and actionable ideas that you can mould to suit your needs. If you'd like to take this conversation further, please do reach out. I would love to meet you. And finally, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a review. That way, you'll be helping me help more people. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy. Right, I'm going to dive straight in. My first mistake, if you like, was that when I stepped into the world of full-time tutoring, in-person tutoring was definitely more the norm than online. As we know, COVID changed that. But at the time, I used to go out to student houses. I did it thoughtlessly, to be honest. It was what they were asking for. And I saw lots of tutors around me doing it too. But there's a lot wrong with that. Of course, if you want to travel to students, that's fine. It's your business, so you can do whatever you want. But the thing that was wrong was my mindset. Firstly, I was bending to the demands of my clients without any consideration of what would work best for me. And secondly, I was doing what I thought I should be doing, rather than considering whether it was the best business idea. And when I acknowledged that tutoring was a viable business and not simply good for some extra cash, I thought more like a business person. And that involved asking two big questions. Number one, what would allow me to optimise how many clients I can work with and therefore my earnings? And number two, what kind of life did I want to have and how could I design my business to enable it? So now I was thinking logically rather than emotionally, because instead of thinking about how I wanted to help students, I realised that I could help them while having boundaries. And when I wore my business hat, I realised that travelling out to students wasn't a good use of my time and it was blocking me from saying yes to more. So that was the first thing that I changed. Instead of me travelling out to students, they came to me. And that meant that I could teach back to back without having to consider travel time or even worry about wear and tear of my car. So in short, I was thinking more like a business person. That didn't mean thinking less like an educator, it just meant adding a new dimension to how I was approaching my business. And when I was thinking about what kind of life I wanted, it forced me to analyse what I wanted my weeks to look like. And I realised that I had a couple of non-negotiables. I definitely didn't want to work on weekends and ideally I wanted to have every Friday to be client free. Maybe I would do something fun on that day or maybe I would work on my business instead of working in my business. And when I actually made that decision at the time, I wasn't working weekends, but I was working Monday to Friday. So it forced me to come up with a plan to transition to working Monday to Thursday. And actually, over the years, I've reduced my tuition even further. 
I now teach Monday to Wednesdays. Between Monday and Thursday, I take mentoring clients on. But on Fridays, that is still my client free day and I don't do anything business related on weekends if I can avoid it. Now, it took a while to get there. I had to have a plan. I couldn't just make the decision and cut it all down because I needed to earn the money. So thinking like a business person allowed me to think more strategically. It allowed me to come up with a plan that involved some stepping stones so that I could eventually work the hours that I wanted to work without taking a hit with my income. The second thing that I would do differently is instead of only listening to people in my niche, which by the way is very important, I would connect with people outside of my niche as well. The reason I say this is because for a really long time, I thought the only way to scale my business was to set up groups and to hire tutors. And similar to my first point, it was because that's what other people were promoting or doing. Now, don't get me wrong. Group classes are great. I run group classes. But I do meet people who think that they aren't being good business people if they are solely teaching one-to-one classes. I have a real issue with this because you have to enjoy what you do and that has to be a priority. Yes, it needs to be balanced with what our clients want and need, but we have to enjoy it too. Discovery calls, one-to-one mentoring, all of these things are generally considered inefficient and maybe one day I won't have time for them. But while I do, I'm holding on to them. I'm holding on to my one-to-one tutees, my mentoring clients, because I really love them. A while ago, I joined a business coaching program that definitely made me feel like I was being silly for holding on to my one-to-one students and that I should convert my whole business into a group teaching model where I was charging a lot of money for them. And because I had taken this course and, you know, I'd committed, I decided to try and just trust the process. But around halfway through, I knew it was not for me because I wanted more flexibility. I needed to enjoy what I was doing rather than being obsessed with how I can make loads of money. And this was a lesson that I share with a lot of my clients. There are so many different ways to make money. So I don't think we should be ashamed of wanting more money, but I don't think it should be the driving force for decision making. I think it should be blended with what we want. I still teach one-to-one and I teach groups because I choose to. Some of my clients only teach groups or only teach one-to-ones. Some of my clients have agencies and hire tutors. I considered that a while ago, but I quickly realised it wasn't for me. or Maybe the time wasn't right. Either way, I learned that there are loads of different ways to grow and scale. And since this is something that I was leading, it had to be something that motivated me. And I'm only going to feel motivated if I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Now on to my third thing. If you listened to the first part of this episode, you will have heard me confess that for a good couple of years, I took the approach of learning everything by myself. It was only after I had invested in some automation that the fear of spending money in my business had lifted and that was when I started to pay for support. And honestly, I have not stopped since. I am always paying for some kind of business coaching or a course or a membership. And the reason I'm sharing this is because when you invest in the right coach, course or mentor, basically any kind of business support, if they're the right person for you, it will fast track your growth. I now know that if I had taken someone up on the support that they were offering, I could have achieved what took me four years in two. My business would have grown in double speed. Now, you're probably thinking that this is my sales pitch to you, but I promise you it isn't because the most important thing for this to work is that you choose the right person and I may not be the right person for you. 
If you have a listen to episode 71, I have dedicated it to all the different things to look out for to make sure you do choose the right support. But the bottom line is that I know budget is a consideration, but if you can make space to invest in some help, your business will get off the ground and grow a lot faster. So my fourth lesson learned is the importance of preparing for success. If you have worked with me, then you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. When I started my business, I had the mentality that the way I was doing things was fine for now. And it didn't take me too long to send out manual invoices. It didn't take me too long to check whether my clients had transferred the money into my bank and to chase people. But that changed when I got really busy and I realised I needed to automate that process. But of course, the problem was that I was really busy, which meant that researching the technology I needed, getting it set up, it was all so overwhelming. So to avoid falling into the same trap that I did, here's what I get all of my clients to do, even if they have no customers. And it's what I do whenever I launch something new as well. I invest in automation from day one. I spend money before I have started to make money. In fact, over the years, I have learned how to launch things with paying clients from the start. But before I had learned how to do that, I still spent before I earned because I recognised the importance of making sure that everything was set up for when things got busy. I prepared for success. So don't be held back by the same mentality I had, where I thought, well, I don't have many clients now, so it's fine how I do things. As I share in episode six, all about streamlining and automating, creating a smooth professional experience for clients can actually lead to more business, because we mustn't forget that our clients are seasoned consumers. They buy things online all the time, so they're used to getting an automated payment request and a receipt and so on. Also, when we automate administrative tasks like this, we also release time and we can spend that time on more income generating tasks or doing something else, something we want to do. Now, the fifth thing I would have done differently was I would have joined a community. For the first few years of my business, I just worked alone and I stayed in my own little bubble. And I was happy enough with that, but I have to admit that I did reach a point where I was feeling a bit lonely. I often thought it would be so great to be able to meet up with people who did the same thing as me, or at least worked on a similar schedule. Virtually all of my friends are employed, so when I'm teaching after school, they're finishing their working day. But I didn't really know how to go about it. I did attend a couple of business networking meetings, but the way they were run were a little too formatted for me. And there were no tutors or even people who worked in education, so it didn't tick that box for me. And then COVID happened and suddenly all these Facebook groups popped up. I don't know, maybe they already existed and that's just when I discovered them. But they were filled with people like me, people who had questions, people who wanted to vent, who just wanted to chat with people who understood their position. And it gave me a taste for what it felt like to be part of a community again. In fact, it's one of the things that inspired me to set up the Tutors Mastermind, a blend of structured training and community. And all of this has led to in-person meetups, interesting discussions. I have got friends who started off as clients or people who I met in these communities. Actually, I have a lot of people to thank for the growth of my business because I've used snippets of advice and feedback to make decisions. You've probably heard the African proverb that if you want to go fast, then go alone. But if you want to go far, you grow with other people. And there is a lot of truth in that. 
Facebook groups are probably the fastest way of accessing communities and I do find that I don't love all of them. So pick and choose the ones you enjoy being in and participate. I promise you, you'll feel less alone and it's a nice space and a safe space to vent, to ask questions, join discussions. And of course, you're always welcome to check out the Tutors Mastermind. The link to that is in the show notes. Now, the sixth mistake I made was letting parents boss me around, even when they weren't actually very bossy. I'll explain. Say when I was getting ready to onboard a new student, I would ask the parent to give me some days and times that suited them. And most of the time, I'd accommodate them. Now, this wasn't a huge issue when I was just getting started. But as I got busy, I realised that I had these inconvenient gaps between lessons. And that meant me having to say no to new students. So I rejigged my timetable to make it more efficient and now when someone asks for a lesson, I offer the day and time. If they can make it, great, and if not, they go on my waiting list. But this doesn't just apply to your timetable. If you think about it, we set a tone when we start working with clients and I was finding that I also had a lot of parents contact me in between lessons for advice. Now, I don't mind giving advice, but it had started to take up an unreasonable amount of time. I had parents cancel lessons with little notice or ask for reschedules and so on. You get the gist. I had terms and conditions, but they were working within those terms and conditions. It just kept happening. Now, at the time, I didn't really know why it was happening. And actually, I just assumed it was normal. But when I started to take charge of the relationship from day one by simply offering a day and time instead of asking them, I noticed a big change everywhere else. Suddenly, the parents I worked with had more respect for my time. They had boundaries. I didn't ask them not to, but they stopped emailing me on weekends. And if they did, they made sure to tell me not to feel like I had to reply until the following week. And people rarely cancel or reschedule. When they do, they actually prompt my terms and conditions before I've had to say anything. And they tell me to make sure that I charge them for the late notice. So my point here is to make sure that you dictate the dynamic of your working relationship with parents. If you're like me and you teach students for years, you naturally get into a groove. But setting boundaries is important. And if you're in a position to be able to, don't be afraid of letting go of clients if they don't respect your boundaries. I had a client just last year who repeatedly rescheduled and changed plans all within my terms and conditions. I enforced my terms because it does say in there that Even if you're within my terms and conditions, if it happens a lot, then it's at my discretion what I choose to do. But I reached a point where I just thought, yes, I'm getting paid when they cancel, but I have students on my waiting list who I'd rather teach. I don't want to get paid for a cancellation. I want to teach. So I let them go and I replace them with someone different. A big conversation that seems to be happening everywhere, even with a lot of my clients, is around group classes and how to fill them. I won't say too much because it wouldn't be fair on my paid clients, but this concept of staying in charge of a conversation applies. So instead of giving people the choice between a one-to-one lesson or a group lesson, I have found a huge increase in uptake by having a more personalised conversation and choosing what I offer them instead of giving them the choice. Now on to my seventh lesson learnt. When I sought support from a business coach, he had barely taught in schools and he hadn't been a tutor. Now, I'm not saying you have to have done either of those to be a business coach, but when I started learning with him, his advice wasn't aligned to what I knew would or wouldn't work. I had already been running my business for a while, so I knew enough about the culture of the tuition world and I could tell pretty quickly that he didn't. 
I'm talking about this because there are a lot of people offering coaching or courses, etc. And as with every industry, some are experienced and can help you navigate through different challenges and some are inexperienced and can only show you what they do. And having made the mistake of learning from someone who only knew their way of doing things, I know that I would now always go to someone who had more relevant experience under their belt. I don't have an issue with courses or teaching a fixed way of doing things. I choose not to approach training that way, but I know many people prefer a fixed way of doing things instead of exploring different possibilities. The thing that I have the issue with is when the person teaching me doesn't have the experience to reroute me if their advice isn't working, or if they don't have enough experience to answer tailored questions. So now I always do my due diligence before investing in support and one of the key pieces of information I dig out is what their experience is and how many years of it they have under their belt. And I know I talked about seeking support earlier and as I mentioned earlier I do have an episode dedicated to this. You can listen to episode 71. But I'm saying this because there are lots and lots of offers for helping you to launch your tuition business or run your tuition business or grow it or whatever. The same applies to tutors. There are hundreds of English tutors like me. And I think it's really important to be clear on what differentiates them and what you need from them. So I know that someone would choose me as an English tutor if they really want to focus on confidence and if they believe that confidence unlocks the results. But if someone just wants this straight line to results, they want me to really go heavy with the workload. I'm not for them. I don't disagree with that. It suits some children, but there'll be a different tutor who's suitable for them. So in the same sort of way, just like we make sure our clients are compatible with us, we need to make sure that whoever we learn from is compatible with us as well. We need to make sure that they have the type of experience and the style of teaching that really resonates with us. So there you have it. Seven things that I would have done differently. This month in the Mastermind, we're finishing our topic on passive and semi-passive income and starting our month focused on visibility and positioning ourselves as go-tos. So if you want instant access to past training or you want to join us for Visibility Month, then just use the link in the show notes to take a look around. You can also book a call with me or click the button to join. In the meantime, thanks for giving me your time and you'll hear from me on Wednesday. Would you like to take this discussion further? Perhaps you have some questions or you'd like more ideas on tailoring your business. If so, book a free discovery call through the link in the show notes.